this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and um, get open up to 2 Timothy. And we're going to take a look at uh, the ministry of Timothy and how to survive difficult times in ministry. Or if you want to apply it to yourself, how to survive difficult times within your family or within your life. Like I said, everybody has good times. And everybody has uh, down times. Amen. And the true test of any believer is the ability to survive uh, those down times. You know, there in the mother church there in Chino, oftentimes we have pastors that come back from the field who've either stepped down or had to be removed for whatever reason. And they come into our church and they start attending there. And I've had the opportunity to talk to almost all of them because I, I pretty much know all the pastors in our ministry. And one of the things I tell them, and I've said this oftentimes to others, even here in Northern California, when you're not behind the pulpit, you're not preaching, I says, now you have an opportunity to preach your, your greatest sermon. Now you have an opportunity to preach your greatest sermon because we see how anointed you are behind the pulpit, which is fine. But now we'll see what you're made of. If you can learn to go back to the basics, back to square one, maybe hit them altars and be a faithful member again and let God begin to restore you. And uh, thank God some of them have heeded that advice. Others, it's not so easy. But I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as many forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am also persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in his sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own special purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a Gentile, a, a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. Last verse. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Shall we have a word of prayer? Father, we thank you this morning. And I just pray, God, your anointing upon this message right now, dear God. And I thank you for this opportunity to come and gather here. And I just pray, God, that I pray that every heart is open, ready to receive that which you have for our life. I thank you, dear God. And I pray your anointing upon this message. And upon your servant this morning, in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Neil, can you take this phone? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're going to talk about difficult times in ministry, right, or surviving, you know, overcoming difficult times in ministry. Now, it's exciting, right? It is exciting to be a part of a growing church. It's exciting to be a part of a growing ministry, right? How many are glad to be a part? How many, first of all, are glad you're saved, right? Secondly, 
Are you glad you're part of this church, amen, Victory Outreach? And then you're also part, never forget, you're a part of Victory Outreach International. And so we're part of a worldwide movement, and it's exciting to see what God is doing here in your city, in the Bay Area, right, and here in the United States, but also globally around the world, right? Well, Paul the Apostle, Timothy was a part of that ministry, and Timothy was pastoring a church there in Ephesus. And he had a church that was throwing. He had a church that was growing. And Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. Obviously, we're reading from 2 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Timothy's church was growing. Things were popping. Souls were getting saved. Leaders were being raised up. It was good times. Everybody say good times. But then something happened, right? Something happened. Timothy's church went from growing to being under attack, right? And as we all know, and you know this in your own personal life, you know this in your family, and you know this in your ministry, times change. Seasons change. You know, you have winter, summer. It's been hot in L.A. I know up here, I, I heard her saying it was a little bit warm, but I mean, last Friday it was 107. It was so hot, I saw a dog wearing tennis shoes. I know that's old, but I mean, it was hot. But, you know, the heat doesn't stay forever. Now the fall will come. Then winter's going to come. Well, seasons change. And the season, the times change for Timothy. All right. Let me give you some historical background as to understand what happened. And what happened was Timothy was pastoring a church that Paul had pioneered. Paul the Apostle spent more time in this city than any other city that he went and ministered, Ephesus. Paul, upon leaving the church, installed his top gun disciple, the best one he felt he could find. At the time, he had Silas. He had others, right? But he installed Timothy to take over. Now, again, Timothy takes over and revival breaks loose. I mean to tell you good things were happening. The Bible says that Apollo would come and preach there, right? Probably one of the evangelists of the day. Probably uh, Paul would come back and preach there. The other apostles would stop in and visit. And John, the apostle, made it his home base. As he traveled around doing missionary work, John, the apostle, made Ephesus, according to historical records, his home base. Now, I can't prove this scripturally, so I don't want to mislead you, um, but we can infer this, I guess. If John was there at Calvary, remember when Jesus died, was died on the cross? He gave John a commission. What was that? Take care of who? His mom, right? So it's believed by many Bible scholars and most people that if John went and moved to Ephesus, because all the apostles were there in Jerusalem. Right? They were in Jerusalem. But then they, they left. They all left Jerusalem. And James, not James the apostle, the stepbrother of Jesus, became the first pastor. So Peter, John, Matthew, Thomas, Nathaniel, all of them left to go evangelizing. John is believed because he attended there, brought his mother with him, the Lord's mother. So come on, guys. You know you got a pretty good church going on. You got the mother of God sitting right there in the second row. Not a making an appearance on the wall or in a donut, amen. In the church, worshiping God. I mean, things were happening in his church. However, something took place in Rome. Rome was like the main place, the capital. And there was a new guy in power, a new Caesar. His name was, anybody? Nero. Nero, to put it politely, was a nut. Nero was a narcissistic. Narcissistic? How do you say it? Narcissistic? Egotistical? Now, yeah. He was in love with himself. And as he, as he, probably as he walked around Rome, he saw statues of Julius Caesar, uh, Tiberius, Augustus, and all the other guys, right? 
So he went before the Roman Senate. He said, you know what? I want my image on some of the public buildings. I want them in the libraries and the Congress and all these places. And the Senate voted it down. Yeah. They shot it down. So Nero said, I ain't giving up. He hired some uh, arsonists to burn the city down. Then they went, when they would rebuild, because he was in power, right, he would have his photo there. Whenever you go to the post office, whose picture do you see? Bush? Clinton? The other Bush? Uh, no, you see Obama. When you go to any public facility, you'll see the he's the act he's the president right now so that was his thinking however he had to lay some blame someplace come on he couldn't have this come back to him so he decided to blame it on this new movement that was springing up and had come into rome right and it spread throughout corinth and philippi and colossae ephesus jerusalem right and they were called what no they were called the way they were referred to as the way, right? And they, they preached about Holy Ghost fire, so let's blame these nuts. Now, you have to understand something. The way we look at Al-Qaeda, right, that's how the way they looked at Christians, like a terrorist movement, an underground movement. That's the way they looked at it. So, so this happened. He burned Rome down, hence the story Nero played the fiddle. I don't know if you heard this in school. Nero played the fiddle while Rome burned. I don't know if that's true. As a result of all of this, right, the Roman government declared Christianity illegal and went after the church. But before that, they were enjoying freedom of religion. They were just another religious group, whatever. But now they were being targeted. And persecution spread. From Rome to Jerusalem to Colossae to Philippi and even to the city of Ephesus. Huh? To the city of Ephesus. And now the church is under attack. And as a result of this, right, you know, whenever you start going through rough waters, people jump ship. Is this working? Can you hear me? When people go through bumpy waters or turbulent waves, huh, they jump ship. You know, Pastor, I, I kind of think uh, it's our time to move. Huh? You know, I don't think I want to be a minister. People started stepping down, right? The ministry began to struggle. Many of Timothy's leaders abandoned him. He got hurt. He got angry. He got discouraged. And he reaches a point where we've all been there where he feels like quitting. You ever felt like giving up? Nod your head. Yes, you have. Huh? We've all felt like giving up on our marriage. We've all felt like giving up serving God. We've all felt like giving up in the ministry, right? All of us are human, and you reach times like that. This is exactly what Timothy was going for. And the church was now not packed out. Now it was dwindling a little bit. Attendance wasn't there. His leaders had abandoned him, right? It was frustration within his ministry. And so Paul the Apostle writes this second letter. In 1 Timothy, the church was growing. Things were happening. You can't read that in the letter. But now if you notice the way he opens up here, huh? He's, he's Paul, the spiritual father, is dealing with his son in the faith. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. And if you'll notice there that Paul refers to Timothy, because here in our scripture, he refers to him as his beloved son. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he refers to him as his true son. Now, time out here. For you Bible scholars, I'm under the understanding that Paul never married. Or if he did marry, right, that he was a widow. Widower, I think is the word is term, widower, right? So, right, how can he be his true son in the faith? Here he calls him his beloved son. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he says, he is my true son in the faith. What in the world is going on with him? What it means is, is that Timothy, because of Paul's leadership and his discipleship, was running true to his spiritual parentage. Huh? He had a lot of Paul in him. That's why Paul said, follow me, because I'm following Jesus. Imitate me. Because I'm imitating Christ. That's discipleship. Huh? And Timothy 
had Paul's qualities instilled within you, right? When you would hear Timothy preach, you probably started thinking you were hearing Paul the Apostle. And you could see a lot of Paul in him. Come on, somebody say amen. And so Paul here writes this second letter. And in verse 4, he says, we need to talk. We need to sit down and talk. Why? Why did Paul want to talk to Timothy? Well, of course, you guys know, right? Timothy was in trouble. He was terrified by his adversaries, uh, and he was at the point of quitting. What was going on within his life? Well, this morning, I wanted to examine four things that were evident within Timothy's life. There are probably a lot more, but we only have time for four. Number one, first of all, if we notice there in verse 4, Timothy was discouraged. Huh? He says, I am mindful of your tears. Paul says, I know what you're going through, Mio. I know what you're going through, son. Huh? Paul was aware of what his spiritual son was going through. Discouragement. Everybody say discouragement. Tolstoy, the great Russian author, referred to discouragement as the dark forest of the soul. Now, I don't care who you are, whether you're a young leader, old leader, right, woman, man, young, whatever, right, all leaders, all leaders, all leaders go through times of discouragement. All, even the best experience discouragement, right? Now, it's not a very fun time. Discouragement is the absence of courage. But really what it does, let me tell you what discouragement does. If you've ever been, whenever you're discouraged, you'll notice we have a tendency to focus on our feelings and not the facts. Huh? We tend to focus on how we feel instead of what the facts are. A good example of this is Elijah, the prophet. We all know what happened to him. He went into battle with about 400 and some odd prophets of the devil, of Baal, right? And he had a contest. And he said, come on, go ahead and light some fire or, or put some sacrifice and, and pray to your God and, and uh, see if he sends down fire. And it didn't happen, of course. And then he said, watch, you can even, on my altar, you can even douse it with water and watch Jehovah God consume the sacrifice. And that's what happened. And after the contest, Elijah got up and wiped out everybody, killed everybody. Great victory, right? Well, Jezebel heard about it, the queen. She put out a contract on the man of God. He got scared. <laughs> he started running. And he ran into a what? A cave. And in the cave, notice what he says. I'm the only one left. Everybody has left me. Everybody has bowed their knee to Baal. Huh? Elijah felt alone. He felt afraid. He felt forsaken. And when you're discouraged, that's how you and I feel. We often ask ourselves, why does this always have to happen to me? What, it always happens to you? Nobody understands. Does it sound familiar? Nobody understands what I'm going through. Huh? Nobody knows what I'm going Nobody knows. Nobody cares in that church. Huh? That's how you feel, huh? Nobody, Victor Irons cares, not even a phone call, not even a text or an email. Sin vergüenza, mira nomás. Man, man, I, yeah, and that's how you feel. You feel like nobody understands. You're the only one going through it. Why does it always have to happen to me? Huh? That's how you feel. Well, those aren't the facts. The facts are, of course, it doesn't always just happen to you. Now, how many of you ever, and be honest now, how many of you ever felt like the devil sometimes picked on you? Okay, he probably was right. You're probably right. I mean, you are probably 99.9% .9 right that the devil was picking on you. And what it means is he targeted you. Like he targeted who? Of the apostles. Who did he target? Peter. Remember Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked. Remember what did he say? Satan has asked that he may sift you. So we might preach about that tomorrow. Right? Huh? And so if you feel like, man, the devil's picking on me, you're probably right. Why? Because God's got an awesome plan for your life. 
there's something powerful taking place within your life. Maybe you don't see it. Maybe your spouse doesn't see it. Maybe even the leaders don't see it, but God knows it's there. How can the leaders not see it? It might just be a seed right now. We're just human, amen? In time, we'll see it. In time, as it begins to bud and grow. But probably the enemy, the reason why the enemy has targeted you, because God has a, a powerful plan for your life. Nobody understands. Yes, we do understand. Right? Nobody, nobody cares. Yes, we do care. But that's how you feel. Those aren't the facts. But notice how Paul the Apostle, verse 5, helps Timothy defeat discouragement. He says, I want you, he goes back, let's go back to our scripture, verse 5. He says, I, I want you to go back and remember the genuine faith. He says, listen, I want you to go back. I want to call to your remembrance the pure faith. See, Timothy felt like giving up. Timothy felt like God had abandoned him. Timothy felt like all was useless. And he's saying, listen, go back to what you believe in. That genuine, pure touch of God upon your life. He's saying, remember the miracle God did in you? Remember the miracle that God did in your family? It started with your grandmother. Then God saved your mom. Now you. Come on, somebody. That's why, we listen, whenever you're getting discouraged and whenever you feel like give up, man, just pull out your pictures. Pull, go out through some of the pictures and look how God saved your son. Look how God saved your daughter. Look how God did a work in your family's life. And then even look in your own life. How many of you got pictures of yourself before you were saved? How many you take about, oh, my God. Oh, my. Or as young people say, OMG. Man, you know what? You take out some of those pictures, and you don't know, just say, oh, thank God I'm saved. Oh, look at me there. Oh, my God, I can't believe that was me. Huh? Aren't you? So that's what Paul is telling him. Remember the touch of God upon your life. I mean, listen, when you're going through hard times and you feel like giving up, remember how the Lord saved you. Remember what you come out of. You know, last Saturday I had the uh, opportunity to preach at a, a rehab graduation. We did a graduation. And I, I talked about, my message was remembering your tomb and how Lazarus, you know, all, I think Lazarus always took people and showed people his tomb of where he was for four days. Some of you need to go back and look at that tomb a little bit. Huh? Go back and remember the smell and the filth and the loneliness and the emptiness. Huh? That's where Jesus took us out of. That's where we were, but Jesus saved us out of that tomb. Paul is saying, listen. That pure faith that your grandma had, that your mom had, he says, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am convinced that it's in you. The power of God. Come on, somebody, say amen. See, Paul was probably here referring to Timothy's potential. He's saying, Timothy, listen, maybe you have doubts about your future. And I know some of you this morning, some of you young people, you might have doubts about your future. You may have doubts about how things are going to work out. Huh? But Paul noticed that in Timothy, and he, what he's saying, he's saying, I have no doubts about you. You're going to be all right. You're going to make it. Come on, somebody, say amen. Huh? I mean, there's, there's just some awesome potential in this room. Well, as I look at the church here this morning, it's pretty much as the, the, the Hayward Church. I keep saying Hayward, but uh, I know you guys are called the heart of the bay now, but still Hayward. Um, I see some familiar faces. A little older now, a little grayer now. But then I see a lot of new faces. And so what that tells me is two things. One, God still has keeping power. Amen. Some of you can say, I'm still here. How many can say, I'm still here? And then I see a lot of new faces. And what I notice here is a lot of young guns. Amen. And so that's good because that tells me that there's a lot of potential in this church. There's some awesome potential here. Come on, somebody, say amen. See, Timothy started having doubts about his future, started having doubts about what God was doing. Am I really called? Do I really belong here? And Paul is saying, listen, you need to go back, man. You need to go back how God saved you and the miracle he did in your family and the miracle he did in your life. And you need to understand something. God's called you. He's got a plan for your life. I see it. See, God gives, watch this, make a note of this, prophetical insight. Write those two things down. 
prophetic insight. What that means is, is if you ever have somebody walk up and tell you, man, you're going you're gonna to be a, man, you're going to be a pastor one day. I see you preaching the gospel one day. Man, I see you over uh, in a prison ministry one day. Man, and, they, and they, they start telling you that. They hardly even, you're like, wow, really? That's called prophetic insight. Now, you just got to be careful who you listen to. Is this working? You know who's faithful in this church. Don't listen to the fly-by-nights. Don't listen to people that show up here once in a while and declare themselves a prophet. I had one guy come to my church. He hardly ever came. But whenever he showed up, he wanted me to address him as prophet. I said, really? You're a prophet? Yes, Pastor, I want you to call me prophet. Are you an Old Testament prophet or a New Testament prophet? Are you a minor or a major prophet? He said, well, I'm just prophet. I said, well, the only kind of prophet I'm interested, to, interested in is a, is, a, is, a, is a net prophet. Amen. That's pretty good. I just made that up. Amen. You, know, you get these weirdo people that fly around and go. They don't. They're not a member of any church. They don't sit. They don't sit under a pastor. You know, they're not a part of anything. But they run around telling people what they should do. But you know who's faithful here. You look around this room. You know who's always here. They're here every Sunday, every service. They're always at the altar. They're always worshiping God. You know who's faithful here. You see their mug every weekend and week out. You see them here, come rain or come shine. Those are the ones. I remember I shared this a number of times when I was in the home. We would get up and uh, and have morning chapel. And we'd get up and, and then we'd say, okay, anybody want to have a word of testimony? And I'd start testifying. I just had something bubbling inside of me. You ever feel like that? You just got to let it out. And they say, anybody want to get up and testify? I'd jump up. You didn't have to ask me twice. So I thank God I was a dope fiend, but one day Jesus got a hold of my life, broke the chain of bondage, and set me free. That's exactly what the guys in the home did. They all started clapping. Yeah, come on. After the chapel's over, the director called me over and said, you're going to be a preacher. He says, in fact, I think you're going to be an evangelist. I said, really? I've been home like a week. He said, don't let it go to your head now. You're still going to sweep them stairs. But you have a calling in your life. We would have these big rallies at the East LA College Auditorium. We'd have Nikki Cruz come and speak or Dave Wilkerson, Andre Crouch and the Disciples. They were big back then. Pack out 3,000 people. Little church. We had about this many people in our church. And we'd have these big rallies. And... Um, Nowadays, you know, when you go to, or what do you call it, Mighty Man Women's Convention or, or the conference, the way we promote United We Can or the UTC or the gang, you know, we're high tech now. I mean, we got videos, we got presentations, color brochures, United We Can pins. Well, back in the day, everybody say back in the day, Hatcher Sunday would just call up the men's home. I want the men's home to come up here and call the men's home. That sounds like W.C. Fields, huh? Anyway, I want the men's owner to come up here. We go up there on stage, you know, and hand me the microphone. I want this young man, Philip LaCruz, to come and share a word of testimony. I'd grab the microphone in front of 3,000 people. I thank God I was a dope fiend, but one day Jesus got a hold of my life, broke the chain of bondage, and set me free. 3,000 people. <sighs> After the service, you know, Pastor Sonny would say, Philly, brother, Philly, come here, Philly, brother. I was good, man. I was good, man. You know what? You're going to be doing what Nikki does. You're going to be in the back. You're going to be speaking to crowds like this one day. But stay humble. You hear me? Stay humble. You hit me. I said, okay, okay. Then Nikki, I see Nikki. I didn't even know him then. So, man, he said, hey, Jew, come here. Every, to Nikki, everybody's a Jew. A uh, Jew, come here. Jew, ain't it you? I said, John, you know, young man, you gonna be a bonder one day. God gonna raise you up. I said, call, call upon your name. God, we said, God, but we put hope for Jesus Christ. I go, does anybody know what he just said? Because that sounded pretty good, but I need an interpretation here. My mom would tell me. She said, Mill, man, you got a calling on your life. I've been seeing like three months. You have a calling on your life. That's called prophetic insight. That's what Paul saw in Timothy. 
And people are going to tell you that sometimes. Man, God's going to raise you up. Man, God's going to use you. Listen to those words. Huh? Paul was trying to stir Timothy up. Listen, now's not the time to give up. Now's the time to rise up. Now's not the time to throw in the towel. Now's the time to raise up the bloodstained banner. Hallelujah. Secondly, Timothy had grown spiritually stale. You know, it even happens to ministers. Huh? That's why he says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Huh? What that means is, for those of you, and many of you know the translation, the word stir up means, in the translation, the Greek is fan the flame. Fan the flame. See, what happened was, Timothy had lost a little bit of that cutting edge. His flame had gone down to a little tiny ember. Huh? How many know we all need times of refreshing, times of renewal, times of, 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 uh, of getting back to that Holy Ghost stirring within our life? Huh? And that's what's happening with Timothy's life. Because of what was going on around him and what was going on within his ministry, it began to affect him spiritually. See, you need to ask yourself this morning, what will make me more effective? What is not making me effective? What should I be doing and what should I not be doing? See, very often what happens is, is that when you're going through some tough times, it's easy to get sidetracked. And the very the, one of the ways you can tell is you begin to neglect the basics. What are the basics? That's right. Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson or whoever it is, no matter how good they are, still have to practice putting. Still have to go out to the driving range. LeVon James, is that his name, LeBron, LeVon or LeBron, is that his name? No matter how good he is, how many rings he has, Kobe Bryant, six rings, whatever, they still have to practice free throws. All the players. Still have to go to spring training. I was watching the Redskins game. R.G., what's his name? What happened there, too? Did you notice how rusty he was? Okay. I mean, everybody saw it there. This kid is talented. He's going to be a star. He's going to be a great quarterback. But you see, the coach, they're worried about him re-injuring his ankle or his knee or something. So they didn't play all spring. And he even, he even voiced, he said, man, put me in, man. Come on, coach. <laughs> I want to play. The coach said, no. Then he gets out of the opener or whatever it was, and he looked rusty. Huh? That's what happens. You, can, you never outgrow your need at the basics. Huh? If you do, you'll, you'll, you'll be rusty. You'll be able to throw incomplete passes, striking out, huh? having what they call uh, 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 mulligans, or not mulligans, what is it? Bogies everywhere you go. That's for you golfers. Huh? Why? Because you didn't practice. That's what, that's what prayer is. That's what the word of God is. And it's very easy to get sidetracked. Very easy to look down the street at a church and say, wow, wow. Look what they're doing. Wow. Pastor, how come we don't do what they do? Wow. Look what they're doing over there. Wow. Everybody say, wow, wow. Look what they're, how come we don't do that? They got a ministry for midgets. How come we don't do that one? Wow. And they got a they got a ministry reaching circus people. How come we don't have a circus? Wow. I'm just right? In other words, you see churches have other ministries and they're very good at it. I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Um I'll give you an example. Give me some water. I'll give you an example. Um Oh, it's right here? Oh, okay, there it is. I'd rather have you bend over than me. Like there are a lot of churches that feed the homeless. Pastor, I still have a hungry people. Hungry people, please get food. Now, nothing wrong with that. How come we don't do like Salvation Army? You know, they take in the homeless people and clothe them. And put them on. How come we don't do that? That's really inner city ministry. Okay. There's a difference between servicing people and meeting people's needs. If you've done any work with the Salvation Army and, and Fred Jordan Missions, which we work with, they just they just keep feeding the same people over and over and over. No lives are being changed. These people are there simply for a handout. And I, and I, I understand that. They're hungry. They're, they, they need shelter and clothing. I understand that. But they're not dealing with the problem. 
right? Yes, we feed the men's home. Yes, we feed the women's home. And oftentimes we offer clothes to them. But we're, we're offering a, a life change, a transformation. We're not just servicing people. We're meeting people's needs. Somebody say amen. I remember one time uh, I was in downtown Los Angeles. And you guys go to World Conference. A lot of you guys take extra money. And I know why. Garment District. I know, I know. And there's also good uh, baby clothes, all kinds of stuff down there real cheap. I guess you do in San Francisco the same way. Anyway, <clears throat> there's this place down there called Wong's. I don't know if it's still there. I used to buy my suits there. His motto was, you can't go Wong with Wong. <laughs> you saw that coming, huh? Anyway, I go down there, and I, and, and, and uh, I, I wanted to buy a suit. So I bought a suit. Make a long story longer than the last one. He, he says, okay, we, we put the cuffs and the, what do you call it, the, yeah, the alterations. He said, one hour. It'll be ready in one hour. I said, really? All right, Wong. Uh, I live out towards, like, West Covina area. So I said, well, I don't want to drive all the way out to West Covina. Those of you that know the L.A. area, that's a good 30 minutes without traffic. With traffic, it's two days and a stayover. <laughs> anyway, I said, I want to drive way out there and then come all the way back. So I figured I'll hang here in downtown L.A. So I bought me a cup of coffee, and I'm walking around. I'm standing at a, a Fifth and Broadway, whatever it was. I'm standing there waiting across the light. And this little chaparrito, a shorty, a short guy, comes up to me. But he spoke only Spanish. <laughs> you know, he said, hey, oh, yes. Yeah. And, he, and he pulls out a, a gold bracelet, right? Quiere compraste, which for those who don't understand Spanish, means you want to buy this. And it was one of those nice, big, gold ones. I like those ones. Some of the guys have them. I said, well, I never had one of those, you know. And uh, don't go give me one after church. I don't want one. I seen an evangelist do that, and I rebuked her for it. Amen. Um, so I said, wow, be nice, you know. And uh, But then I looked at him. He goes, $25, man, $25. Well, I know what $25 buys. So do some of you. A balloon of dope. And I looked at him, I go, Oh, we got dope for you here. I said, come here. Vente conmigo, vente conmigo. And I asked him to come across the street. And with my broken Spanish and my little bit of Chicano slang and I don't know, whatever else, you know, I started witnessing to him. I said, man, yo andaba perdido en los calles de San Gabriel, pero Cristo me salvó. Cristo rompe las cadenas en mi vida. Yo, yo andaba un adicto de heroína. And he's listening to me. And then he rolls up his sleeves, long sleeves like you, and he rolled up his sleeves and his tracks. They're called tracks. We're all abscessed. Yeah, they were foul looking. He goes, mire este, mire este. I said, listen, I don't know if you understand me, but I can put you in any home in the country. And when I said that, another guy walked by and said, home, what home? Now, the little guy was a heroin addict. The other guy was a coke addict. There's a difference. Trust me. The heroin addict is barely getting on the off-ramp or the on-ramp. The coke addict is in the diamond lane going 90 miles an hour. He was tweaking, man. And I started witnessing these guys. I ended up, they didn't want to go to the home, but I gave them the number. I prayed for them. I go back. I pick up my suit. I said all that to get to this point. I'm going back to the car with my suit, and the power of God came upon me, and God, I heard God speak to me. It wasn't out loud, but I could hear him so clear. Say, this is why I've raised up this ministry. This is why I've called you. This is the very reason why I've raised up Victory Outreach, to reach those that nobody else wants, that nobody else cares about, that nobody else loves, but I care about them. I love them and I want to change them. Pastor, are we still a dope ministry? Yes! But we've evolved. We don't just reach drug addicts. You know, now we, we've evolved. We've grown. We used to be referred to as the drug addict church. Maybe that's not our our main you know, they, they call us that name anymore. But yes, we still reach hardcore heroin addicts. Hardcore drug addicts. Yes. Yeah, we've evolved to school of ministry and UTC and the gang ministry and all these other ministries. That's all fine. But just remember what God has called us to. 
He's called us to these streets, amen. He's called us to the highways and the byways to reach those. Don't ever forget that. It's one of our values. Somebody say amen. I don't, I don't understand some churches. They don't have rehab homes. My mission right now as the overseer, I oversee all of Christian recovery. Excuse me. That was the breakfast. Um, uh, my mission is to get every church a home. Now, uh, it started out this year, 84. 84 Victory Irish churches don't have homes. I'm like, what? What? Man. Uh, it's now down, to, in the USA, it's now down to 44. So we're on the right track. And uh, I was just telling Pastor uh, Mitchell and Pastor Saint I said, I want to get all the pastors who don't have homes. I want to get them in here to meeting or do it by, what do you call it, Skyping, what do they call that? Do it by internet, and I want to talk to them. Maybe you guys can help me where we can get some feedback. Why don't they have homes? Uh, why aren't they out opening up a men's home, a women's home, a midget home? I don't care. Drug addicts, drug addicts. We got to win drug addicts. I don't mean midget home, amen. Maybe a little heroin midget addicts, amen. With little needles, I don't care. I'm a product of the home, man. I'm a product of the home. Hallelujah. We can't get sidetracked. We can't get sidetracked. Number three, we're almost done. Number three, thirdly, Timothy was afraid. Not only had he grown spiritually stale, he was suffering from cowardice. In other words, fear, the word here is, is acting or being like a coward. I know those are, those are some strong words, but they're coming from his father. You know, when your spiritual father talks to you, he can talk to you with some strong words. Well, if you have a mentor in your life, some of you guys have mentors in your life, they'll talk to you tough sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm tough on my disciples. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really tough on them. But I tell them, listen, I'm, I'm talking to you like that because uh, I'm not going to hear to baby you. I remember I had this one guy, I won't tell you who, Mexican mustache tattoo, you figure it out. And I had him move in with me, and he had a girlfriend in the church. And they, and, they, and they were keeping that part holy as far as that was concerned. And that's cool. You know, have a girlfriend. Man does not live by bread alone, for those of you that are single. But I noticed that every time him and I would get in an argument, they'd fight over the, on the phone, he'd get all depressed. He'd go up in his room, and he'd, just, he'd, he'd be all sullen. You know what sullen means? Be like that for days. Finally, one guy got me, and I, I said, "Listen, you gotta snap out of this." I says, "You know, I, I'm here. You're here for a short time for me to train you." And I says, "And look at the way you are. You're fine when you and you and your girlfriend get along, but the minute you have a little titter tat or something like that, I says, you, you know, you 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 change." I says, "Trust me, if you're gonna marry that girl, you're gonna have a lot of tit and tats. I mean, you're gonna fight and argue and, and not get along with each other." But you got you to make it work. I said, listen, you got to snap. And I, I let him have it. I mean, I let him. I took out both barrels. I let, I let it into him. I said, listen, you either cut that girl loose or cut me loose. Make your choice. I said, because I ain't going to train you like this. So if you're going to keep her, go upstairs, pack up your stuff, and God bless you. Or for a season, put her off, amen. If you love each other, she'll wait. Amen. Hey, sometimes I was real hard on my disciples. But that's how Paul is talking to Timothy. He's saying, listen, man, you're acting like a coward. God has not given us the spirit of fear. See, fear works like discouragement also. It causes us to deal how we, on how we feel. For example, now again, let's be honest here. Let's see if I have some honest people here who are willing to come clean. How many of you here have a fear of flying? Okay. Why? Right. That's really what it is. Is it a fear of heights? Okay. Well, the height thing I can't do anything about because the planes go up there. Yeah, crashing. I understand that. See, I understand that. I'm afraid of crashing, burning up. But if you do crash, you ain't going to feel anything. Two, 
if you're going to like the world conference and the plane crashes, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to the conference. It's a win-win. <laughs> but really what it is, it's what he said. Really your fear is the lack of control because you're not flying the plane. And you have to put your trust in two heathens up there. But again, that's how you feel. I understand that. Some people have a fear of heights. You have a fear of heights, right? Are you going to jump? No, then why are you afraid of heights? You're going to jump if you're not going to jump. See, it can't hurt you if you're up there as long as you, know, like you don't have that bride with your push shoes. Well, you guys watch the news, huh? Uh, they married, what, one week? Then she pushed off her new husband off the cliff. Shoot, I thank God my honeymoon, amen, we stayed home. Um, we're in Chicago. Chicago has what we used to call the, the Sears Trade Center, which is one of the tallest buildings in the world. It's not now, but it was at one time. I think Shanghai, Shanghai has the tallest. Anyhow, we were there, uh, me and Pastor Cal, years ago we were pioneering the Chicago church, and we had a team from San Bernardino, and we all wanted to go up to the, to the top. Now, I'm telling you, it's, you would not like it up there. You're high. I mean, you're higher than three bags of cocaine. You are high. You see the whole city of Chicago. Yeah, huh? So there's one sister that didn't want to go up there. And Pastor, you guys didn't know Pastor Cal, but he, he tried to talk to her with his wisdom and testing her God and knowing scriptures. And she's just like, no, Pastor. No, Pastor. No, Pastor. She's like, sister. No, Pastor. No way. Lord, help me, Lord. Lord, help me. And he said, sister, come on. The other girls try to talk to her. No, no, no. I rebuke that. I rebuke that. Get behind me. You know? I said, sister, come here. I said, uh, you want to you go when the rapture hits? Or you want me to be left behind? Because I'm, I'm going to go to heaven when the rapture hits. I go, okay. Well, this is a preview of the rapture. <laughs> I said, think of it as a preview of the rapture. You want to go or you want to get left behind? So keep me on that thing. Amen. But some people have a fear. But that fear is, found, is founded on your feeling, not the facts. Right? And that's what it works. There were two reasons for Timothy's fear. One, persecution. That's why chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's telling him, be strong. He's telling him, hang in there. You're going to get knocked around. You're going to get attacked. Yes, Paul, you know, he didn't say, listen, just ignore the persecution. No. He's saying, be strong. Huh? Come on, man up, guys. Or woman up, I guess is the term we use for men. Right? It means, come on. Yeah? Let's, let's, don't let fear hold you back. That's what he's telling him. And then look what he says there in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, and the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. He's saying, listen, there are two reasons why you're afraid. One, you're afraid because of the persecution, and all I have for you is hang in there because you're going to get persecuted. How many know you're going to get attacked? We may not get it like the way they get it here, but you're going to get hit. Tell the person next to you, you're going to get hit. And so what are you going to tell them now? Hang in there. Tell them, hang in there, man. Come on, man, man up. Huh? Hang in there. And secondly, he was afraid of being hurt again. Watch this. Timothy had invested in men, and those men stabbed him in the back. Now, we groan and moan, but we've all been there. Your best friend does something to you, your sister, your brother, a family member. Huh? A brother in Christ, right? A leader. All of us have been hurt by people. That's the nature of the game. Somebody say amen. Huh? You know, in baseball, for those who don't know anything about baseball, in baseball they have what they call a brush back pitch. A brush back pitch. You know what that is? It's when the pitcher takes the ball and throws it around his chin. It's called chin music, right? Or throws it inside. To move him off the plate. In baseball, the pitcher's saying, that's my plate. The batter's saying, no, no, this is mine. Well, the pitcher says, I have the ball. And so in order to intimidate him, he'll throw him what they call a brush back pitch. Huh? He's sending a message to him. 
It's nothing personal. Huh? I don't even know you sometimes. Huh? It's the nature of the game. Because when it happened, we were at the game of the night, and one of the, one of the guys went down, and I think it was Tanya, my sister, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, how can he do that? I go, hey, that's the nature of the game. Same thing in football, right? It's the nature of the game. Well, we're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked. I'm going to get attacked. Huh? But that's where we have to hang out. And secondly, also, we're going to get hurt. In, in, when you start getting involved in church work, and many of you are involved right now, right? But for those of many of you used to be involved, but the reason you're not involved, you got hurt. By the head usher, by one of the leaders, the worship leader. Huh? Well, the worship leader told me I couldn't sing. Well, can you? <laughs> Maybe they were doing you a favor. Because, you know, all of us sound great in the shower. Huh? But it's one thing to sing at home, but then you go up here and think you can sing. It's amazing to me how some people think they can sing. And they bug and pester the past. Pat, you gotta let me sing, Pat, you gotta let me sing. Pat, you won't let me sing, Pat, you won't let me sing. Pat, you gotta let me sing. How many of you actually know how to sing? And I, I want you to be really totally honest. You say, you know what, I'm, I'm a singer. You're a singer? Okay, all right. You, you, have you sung solos here? Okay. And, uh, so you're a singer, okay? You're can I hear your scales? Go ahead. Don't help me. Don't help her. Right here, girl. Let me hear your scales. Go ahead. Go. No, your scales. Yeah, go. Give her a hand. That is a singer. That is a singer. Because some of you don't even know what scales are. I had one guy in big charge, and he's a worship leader. I won't tell you what church, but it's, it's, it's nearby. I won't get, I go, give me your scales. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> Very good, young lady. That's your scales. Huh? Huh? Man, would be a great singer, but she knows your scales. Huh? So oftentimes, people, some of you used to be involved in the church, but you got hurt. And you're walking around with a 10-cent hurt. Huh? It's nothing. Come on. It's, it's kid stuff. So they talked about it. They didn't let you sit in the front. They didn't let you sing. Right? You got bumped from preaching. Whatever. It's 10 cents, guys. Come on. Huh? We move on. Timothy was hurt. And what Paul tells Timothy, he's saying, listen, get back to investing in me. The way I trained you, even though some abandoned you, some fell, we're always going to have people fall. Huh? He said, get back. Raise up some more. Get some more. The result of all this fear, Timothy had become gun shy and had lost his cutting edge. He was ashamed of what he was going through, and he even became embarrassed of his heritage. Huh? You ever get asked this by your family? You still going to that church? You over there with all those drug addicts? What are you doing over there? You're not a drug addict. You weren't, you weren't out there selling your body. What are you doing over there? Huh? They try to make you feel embarrassed of your heritage. Paul said, listen, don't be embarrassed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. A prisoner for Christ's sake. Huh? Paul says, don't be embarrassed of who you are, where you came from, who your spiritual father is. What's happening to me is for the glory of God. Let's read verse 8, everybody. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Huh? Powerful stuff, huh? And so Paul here, in verses 9 through 12, begins to put things in perspective, right? He begins to remind him of God's plan. He begins to tell him that verse 9, he said, listen, remember who saved you. Look at verse 9. Remember who called you. He's taking him back. Go back. Remember how God saved you. Remember the calling upon your life. And for the next few verses, Paul begins to put things in a different perspective. How? By reminding him of God's plan and the vision that God had for him. 
Because ultimately what happened to Timothy, number four, oh, this is the last thing, I'll close with this. Timothy was confused. Number one, he had become discouraged, right? Number two, he had grown spiritually stale. He needed to get the fire back. Three, he became afraid. And number four, he had gotten confused. And Paul, verses 9 through 12, reminds him of the plan, reminds him to refocus on the vision. His vision had gotten blurry. He lost his sense of calling. And Paul reminds him. He said, remember now. Paul, verse 13 now, reminds him. He said, remember what I taught you, man. Huh? He said, try to go back to what I taught you. Sometimes that's not easy. What did Paul teach Timothy? Number one. He taught him to be an example. Timothy was a young pastor, yes. And Timothy, because of his age, which is between 30 and 40, was considered too young for ministry. Now, in those days, they were actually considered almost like children, right? Times are different today. But Paul is saying, listen, it's not about your age. It's about your exampleship. Somebody say amen. Why is being an example so important? Because we lose power when we lose the ability to be a good example. You want spiritual authority? You want spiritual power? Be a good example. You know why the pastors in our ministry, why they listen to Pastor Sonny Sr.? It's not just because he's our leader, just because he's our pastor, but he's a good example. Huh? Why oftentimes we listen to our leaders because they become good examples to us. See, Timothy was losing his edge with the people because he had lost the ability to be a good example. And we lose power, spiritual power, when we lose the ability to be an example. Somebody say amen. If you lose exampleship, the result will always be disqualification. That's the whole key is being an example. Secondly, he says, remind, I want to remind you, these real quickly. I want to remind you, one, be a good example. Two, discipline, self-control. He told him in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, take heed of yourself. In other words, Timothy, control yourself. Control yourself. Huh? In other words, let me see if I can refocus this. Timothy had become sloppy. He had let himself go in his personal life. And what Paul is telling him here, he's saying, listen, you want to get the fire back? You want to get the cutting edge back? You want to get your ministry back on, on track? He says, get back to the personal management of your life. Huh? In other words, get your driver's license. Huh? Come on, man. Get your act together. Pay up those loose tickets. Take care of your child support. Oh, there it is. Huh? Take care of all these things, man. I had a young disciple, the same one, lover boy. Uh, he was living with me, and he cut the girl loose, by the way, and praise the Lord. Uh, and he had an old car, and I, ma I made him park it. because he had it was, The car ran, but it was a station wagon. I said, uh, that's a nice car. He said, yeah, 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 it is. But I got no insurance. I go park it. He said, yeah, I, I got no my, my license, Brother Philip." Park it and don't and give me the keys. So that's okay. So he went out and started. After he'd been with me about nine months, he got a, he got a booking to go preach, and the church blessed him like one hundred and sixty dollars. He came back. He never saw that much money in his life. Wow, look at that! I, got I said, "Well, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna get me a suit, man. Get me an evangelist suit. So when I walk in the church, ooh, come on, somebody." I said, "No, you're not." I said, no, I don't want you to get a suit. I said, I want you to pay your, your, your ticket to get your license back. What? I said, yes. What is good? What good to do? You have a nice suit. You're in the county jail. <laughs> Getting booked for driving without a license for a warrant. I mean, some of you guys still got warrants. And you don't even tell your director. Don't look at me like that. Uh, you don't want to come clean. We had a pastor on it. I ain't going to tell you who. Mexican mustache tattoos. On his way to church, got pulled over. Wasn't here in Northern Cal. Got pulled over. They ran a, what do you call it? They run the, what do you call it, the thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Found out he had a warrant. Cuffed him and took him down to jail. He called his wife, honey, go to the church. 
and give her some instructions. I am not making this up. They got up behind the pulpit and took up an offering to bail out their pastor. Shame on you, brother. My God. You'd be surprised how some guys can't manage themselves. Now, I understand. I understand. I understand some of you guys aren't good with money. I understand that. So you have your wife. Like in every marriage, there's somebody who controls the books, right? You control the books, right? You're not married? Who's married here? So where's your husband? Okay. So who, 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 who writes the checks? Okay, so you're smart. <laughs> right? And, and, and But in most marriages, right, Daryl, would your wife do it or you do it? Who handles the finances? She handles it, right? Okay. Yeah, don't let him near money. But, uh, right, who handles the finances? Yeah, okay. See, see I'm going to say I handle the finances. Because my wife gets all, oh, my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I say, Esther, don't worry about it. It's just a water bill. Right? But you'd be surprised how some guys cannot manage to pay their bills. I understand getting behind. I understand that. We all get behind. Huh? But then you cut back. I know some pastors that in victory outreaches, they, they have a different cell phone number every other, every other month. Not because they're so famous that they get so many calls. They don't pay their bills, so they get the members of the church to get their phone number. They go to the kid. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and I'm only saying this not to brag or boast. I, I, I've had different cell phones, obviously, but I've had the same number ever since I've had a cell phone. I just figured it's a lot easier for guys to get a hold of me, right? And then, talk about cell phones. How many have cell phones? When you give somebody, how much time we have? We have a little more time? Okay. When, we, when you give somebody your work phone, what are you telling them? If you give me your work phone, what are you telling them? You can, I'm allowed to receive calls at work. When you give somebody your home phone number, what are you telling them? You can call me at home, at dinner time, whatever. When you give somebody your cell phone number, what are you saying to them? That's right, anytime. Everybody say anytime. So we call you. Your pastor calls you. Daryl calls you. But what do we get? Your, your what? Now, some of you are actually probably pretty good at answering your voicemail. However, there are probably one or two. My discernment tells me one or two of you here are like merciful Jesus. Either your pastor or his wife, one of the leaders. Sister, my God, I've left you four messages. I'm going to pull his covers. And I don't really care. He's in the Hall of Fame. Tim Arkansas. This kid is in the Hall of Fame for not returning calls. I mean, they're going to actually dedicate a wing to him. And he laughs. Like, ah! Try to answer my voicemail, right? And what I'm trying to say is, is like some guys can't manage their, their checkbook, they can't manage their calendar, they can't manage their bills. If you, can't, I tell pastors this: if you can't manage your calendar, what makes you think God's going to let you manage 500 people? If you can't manage to pay your gas bill, what makes you think God's going to let you to manage a rehab home? If you can't manage your own life, what makes you think God's going to entrust other lives to you? It's all about personal management. I'm not perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Come on, somebody. But like this morning, I woke up and I forgot to mail my house bill. I, I forgot the house payment. And I woke up and I said, oh, my God, I forgot. I left it right there. I was going to mail it on the way to the airport yesterday. I mean, before I got it, I was determined. I got my wife. I got my daughter. I go, it's there in the house. I can't find it. I can't find it. I go, look for it. This is urgent. I, this, I, don't, I don't like to play around with this kind of stuff. And the thing like that happened to all of us, but you get it done. You make it happen. And what Paul was telling Timothy was, get back to the personal management of your life. Number three, he said, I want to remind you, one, remember, be a good example. Remember what I'm teaching you. Remember to have self-control. Thirdly, remember of the doctrine. Remember of what I taught you. The problem is, is that because at that time, of all the things that, Timothy was going through, he started losing a little bit of focus on 
on, on his values. That's how I interpret this. You know, we have a value system here in Victory Outreach. We have a set of values that we go by. That's what our mission statement is all about. And Paul had to remind Timothy of what God had called him to do. We already talked about that, so I won't labor it. But one of the things that we must always remind ourselves is the calling of God upon our life. Some of you have a direct calling from God upon your life. You have a calling to be. One day, maybe not from this exact pulpit, from this exact location, but from this ministry, you'll be launched out. Victor Average, this church has, has, has had a number of babies. You've had churches, and you're not going to stop. Some of those guys are doing good out there. Amen. Some of them are regional pastors now. They're rising up in leadership. And God isn't finished yet. God's not through with you yet. God's going to raise up more men and women of God. And they're going to get launched out from this very pulpit. Some of you are going to go overseas. Some of you have a calling to preach the gospel. Well, Paul is telling Timothy, take care of your calling. Take care of that anointing that I've given you. God gave King Saul a powerful anointing, but he abused it. And that is the one thing that God will take back. God won't take back the gift. The Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. But there is one thing that God will take back, and that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Ask me why. Come on, ask me why. Because it's not yours and it's not mine. It belongs to him. And if you don't want it and you don't want to use it, if you're not worthy of it, he'll take it from you and he'll find somebody else. For King Saul, he said, okay, you don't want it. You want to get proud with me? You want to act like that? I'll find me somebody else. And he found a little shepherd boy named David. Come on, somebody say amen. So there in verse 15, let's read verse 15. He says, uh, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among from whom he mentions their name, by Julius and Hermogenes. Paul knows what Timothy is going through. He says, listen, I, I know what you're going through. You look, look, you're feeling rejected and abandoned. I've had two guys go out on me, uh, Phygelius and Hermogenes, probably because they're going to pronounce their names. Paul says, listen, I know what you're going through. I was on a trip over here in Asia, and two of my best disciples left me. Here Paul reminds him to keep that cutting edge. Maintain that cutting edge. Somebody say amen. Get back to the basics. Have you lost your cutting edge this morning? Are you experiencing a little bit of difficult time in your life and in your ministry and what's going on within your leadership? Well, it's, it's not the end of the world. It might feel like it, but it's not. Huh? Remember that God has a plan and a calling upon your life and mine. Come on, let's all stand as the worship team makes their way. Give the Lord a good hand of praise. Amen. Come on, guys. Give the Lord a real good praise offering. Hallelujah. Oh, how, come on. Just keep clapping. Amen. Praise the Lord.